Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. I'm Darren Hefty. I'm going to be talking about root rots, specifically in pulse crops. But get this: so you think, oh, okay, I don't, I don't raise pulse crops. Well, do you ever have pythium issues in your crop? <laughs> Almost every crop does. Do you ever have rhizoctonia issues? Do you ever have fusarium issues? And yes, we'll talk about a phantomyces that uh, you're going to hear about this one and say, man, maybe uh, maybe a pythium is not such a tough thing to fight out there. Yeah, there are a lot of root rots that can impact any crop that you want to raise. And today I, I heard one that I hadn't really dealt with before. So there was a, a grower uh, that that uh, worked with over the years and worked with um, the previous generation as well. So the, the people that handed the farm down and never saw this over all the years, but, but I've seen it twice now, fusarium wilt in soybeans. And it was, it was interesting because you think, okay, if there's a disease in the area, it must be, you know, over a broad area. How can it possibly be just in one field? But when it's in one field, it gets you thinking about, okay, what was different out in that field? Obviously, something happened. There's some type of situation that that led to this, and the the factor ended up being compost, and not just well, where the compost come from. It, it was this is something that gets killed, but it has to be over 200 degrees to kill fusarium wilt, the the spores that are going to cause that. And compost doesn't get over 200 degrees. So you aren't going to be able to kill it with that composting process. And I think it's one of those things where we talk about compost and we say, man, we're going to kill all the bad things in there by that, that pile is going to heat up. It doesn't heat up enough to kill absolutely everything. And this is something that slipped through. And it also has a secondary host of pigweed. So if you have pigweed issues in your field, you could be propagating fusarium wilt out there. And I think it's it's either the same thing or very close relative to the wilt that we see in tomatoes, which is why we move to tomatoes around. Don't plant them in the same spot each year, and you kind of avoid a lot of those wilt issues. Well, same thing here. If you rotate to corn, if you stay away from soybeans, don't put any more compost out in this field. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to get by. Uh, but you know what? If we don't control pigweed next year, well, we didn't have soybeans in there, but we did have pigweed, and they could also host it. So you've got to be really careful about this. We see the same thing in corn. We want to do a great job controlling grass species all throughout the rotation because a lot of the diseases that impact corn can impact other grasses. So we don't want those to skip past our rotation. Um, you know, we're talking about these root rots and pulse crops and, and crop rotation is certainly going to be something, uh, we're going to look at compaction. We're going to look at planting date, uh, seed treatments, just lots of different management practices that could help in pulse crops. And again, you may say, I don't have pulse crops, but a lot of the same active ingredients that get used there are going to get used in soybeans and other crops. So, uh, pay attention today. Ask some questions if you want. Our phone lines will be open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com. we got a bunch of emails here that we'll get to during the Ag PhD mailbag time.
Uh, on a farm today, everything's always happening in a hurry. It seems like when, when something starts to change, it's, oh boy, what are we going to do? How are we going to manage this? And one of the things that's changing rapidly is the moisture level in our crop. And we would normally harvest silage eh, in, in a couple of weeks, maybe. But this year with, with the increase in growing degree day accumulation, with the heat, with the drought, uh, all those factors are driving driving maturity much more quickly and we're gosh we could be cutting silage today i I don't know how quickly uh the custom cutter will be able to get mobilized but there there's some fields that are ready to go now and then you know working with a large dairy farmer he's got a bunch of different farmers that he's going to get silage from and some planted different corn maturities that that are ready and some have some corns got a little ways to go so it's actually going to work out pretty good to spread out that harvest just a little bit so he's continuously got fields that are at the right moisture percentage i would just encourage you whether you're cutting silage or doing anything raising any crop keep scouting that crop throughout the year you'll learn so much by being out there and one of the things uh, that we're learning right now just in regular cornfields I got a series of pictures uh, sent to me last night by an agronomist and he's like, what's going on here and what's going on here and what's going on here. And I just thought it was interesting because just picture by picture, it's like, well, that looks like this. That looks like this. That looks like this. What's what's happening out here in the field. And as those plants start to pull all their nutrients to the kernels in the case of corn, we're starting to see some diseases show up, whether it's on the stalk or on the roots or on the leaves. And as, as the plant pulls a lot of the nutrition out of there, the mobile nutrients in the plant, yeah, those, those parts of the plant are going to be sacrificed. And we, we, a lot of times will call this cannibalization where food is going from one part of the plant to feed that plant producing seed. That's the job of the plant is producing seed. If you can keep that plant all green and looking amazing, that means you had tremendous amounts of nutrients out there and you had more than enough for the grain and the stover. So if you're seeing your plant cannibalized too early, that's a pretty good indication. Either you're not getting close to enough water and you just can't get the nutrients into solution that are in the soil, or you just don't have enough nutrients in the soil to start with, no matter how much water you have. So that's something you'll easily pick up on when you're out scouting. And certainly as you start pulling soil samples, that'll tell the story as to, okay, I'm short, but how short am I and and how much do I need to put on? So on our farm, we're getting ready for the silage harvest, but we're also getting ready for uh, cover crop and we're going to need to do some tillage in a few of these fields. Uh, one of the mistakes that we made this year is over application of manure and it wasn't us doing the application but uh, when you've got hills and valleys on your farm sometimes those types of those applicators just can't make it up the hill as fast and they over apply in some spots so that's something we'll have to deal deal with Uh, tillage may be part of the answer and certainly a cover crop this fall too Today's show, we're going to focus on root rot in pulse crops, and we'll be taking your questions as well. Stay tuned. It takes balance to be successful in farming, because what you get out of it depends on what you put in, and Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season 
by visiting Corteva.us. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all label directions. Now is your chance to refuel your farm equipment for free. Register today at fuel.clos.com for your chance to win $10,000 in free farm diesel fuel. From our high-capacity harvesting equipment to our high-horsepower tractors, Kloss is known for superior performance and exceptional fuel efficiency. So go to fuel.clos.com, then check out the advanced equipment at your local Kloss dealer. That's fuel.clas.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio, and our topic of the day is root rot in pulse crops. So we're going to talk about root rots in general, and you're going to recognize names like Phytophthora and Pythium and others, and you're going to say, well, wait a minute, that's a problem in my crop too, even though I'm not raising pulse crops. You bet. You're going to pick up a lot, uh, and I love it. Our first guest is a plant pathologist, and whenever you listen to plant pathologists, there, there's just so much information there that can help you no matter what crop you're raising, just understanding, okay, what kind of conditions can lead to these things because uh, a lot of these problems are out in your field, just waiting for the right environment and waiting for you to put that susceptible host out in the field for them. So uh, anyway, pay attention, take a few notes along the way, and if you've got questions, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Michael Wunsch with us right now with North Dakota State University. Michael, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. You know, you think about pulse crops, and I always hear about aphanomyces, and I say, man, I'm so glad I don't have that in my corn crop or other crops, uh, and it's not as big a problem for us. But uh, there are a lot more root rot-type diseases in pulse crops than just a phantomyces. What are you seeing in North Dakota? What are some of the primary uh, problems that you're trying to address? Sure. The, the, the really big problem, of course, is a phantomyces, and we re- usually refer to it as a root rot complex, a phantomyces, fusarium root rot, and fusarium wilt. And the three occur together. Uh, phantomyces is clearly the most devastating of the three. Um, but wilt can be really bad too, and they all cause uh, a constriction of the roots that limits water uptake and causes the plants to wilt and die early. 
You know, when you think about that that component of the, the plant, a lot of people are looking above ground, but the root system is so critical for, for that plant, and that's where the real story is told. I know growers will say, well, man, why don't you just use a seed treatment? Uh, what seed treatments can help with this, Michael, or is it a lot more complex problem than that? So Thanomyces and Fusarium are favored by really warm soils, okay, and uh, we plant uh, peas early. At least we sure try to, and uh, and so uh, the seed treatments do not offer much protection against uh, either of those. Um, there are some seed treatments that do help some against fusarium, okay. And the one treat seed treatment that is registered for Phanomyces, um active ingredient Ethoboxum, um, it does not show very satisfactory efficacy, shall we say? Okay, now, what we have found is the following. Um, you can um, uh, get pretty decent management of these root rots by stacking a few treatments. You, you, you need to have a decent crop rotation interval, usually five years out of peas and lentils, and then you need to plant early when the soils are cold. Uh, you're looking at 40 to 45 degree uh, soil temperatures, average night and day, and at that seeding depth, okay? And, but when you plant when the soils are cold, those soils are very favorable for Pythium and Rhizoctonia, especially if you get some moisture. And so then you need to use the seed treatment as well. Basically, the early, early planting will, will buy you four to eight bushels in these root rot fields, these fields of the heavy Aphanomyces and Fusarium root rot pressure, uh, the crop rotation interval, at least five years out of pea, will buy you about nine to 11 bushels. And, but then you need the seed treatment, the standard seed treatment package, just, uh, you know, your uh, metalaxyl or methanoxim for pythium, and then some active for rhizoctonia uh, when you're planting that early because um, uh, those soils are cold in favor of pythium and rhizoctonia, which might not be what you're normally thinking about on peas. But when you plant early like that, these are an issue, and we get about a four to six bushel response to those seed treatments when we plant early. And, uh, and again, you need to plant early when you worry about a Phantomyces and Fusarium. So, um, yeah, so I guess that's the seed treatment story. You know, you talk about planting early, and one guarantee in North Dakota is that ground is going to be frozen. <laughs> you know it's going to be frozen. So uh, as soon as that starts thawing out, that means you got to be ready to go. you got to have uh, seed treated up and, and ready to get in the ground as soon as you can because it doesn't take long some years in North Dakota. And I know a lot of folks in the South think, oh, no, North Dakota takes forever to warm up. No, it really doesn't. Uh, there, there's some very warm 80 and sometimes even 90-degree days early in the spring to kind of get things moving. So guys got to get after it. Uh, when when you look at the, the seed diseases, you mentioned the pythium, that that can become more of a problem and phytophthora and those types of things. Uh, standard seed treatments working fairly well on those. What are you seeing, Michael? I know there've been some new active ingredients coming out. Yeah, no, there are, our standard seed, seed treatment packages work very well against the pythium and rhizoctonia. We don't have phytophthora on peas and lentils. Uh, gratefully, um, um, but uh, they work, the standard seed treatment packages work really get well against the rhizoctomia and the pythium. Now, both, uh, all the major companies, I know definitely Syngenta and, uh, and BSF, 
uh, have rolled out seed treatments that also have pretty good efficacy against fusarium. And, um, and, so, and we have seen benefits to that, but we see that uh, when the soils are warmer when you're planting, okay? And uh, when you're planting really early, which is really what you need for the, for the phantomyces, um, you know, uh, you really just need a seed treatment that's really good against pythium and rhizoctonia. What about with cover crops, Michael? And I know for, for North Dakota, I would say probably not as much adoption on some of the cover crops as some of the other areas, but do you see issues with that, that we're, we're providing another host for things like a phantomyces, or, or what crop specifically is that one hitting? Well, when the cover crop includes a lentil or a, or a field pea, that's a legitimate concern. Um, we have not quantified it, but... Uh, Clearly, um, you, you know you're giving that um, you're giving that pathogen an opportunity to increase on its susceptible host. And worse, cover crops are often planted when the soils are quite warm, which is when those root rots uh, uh, like it. You know, so um, you know I um, yeah I it's a concern everyone raises. Uh, as far as putting hard numbers on how much it increases risks or disease levels, I don't know. Once you have a phantomyces in a field, how long is it there for? Can you get out of it in a five-year rotation, or once you have it, you've got it for good? Once you have it, you got it for good. Um, it does reduce in its intensity, but ro crop rotation alone, in our experience, uh, both on a research level and also commercial producers' experience, crop rotation alone is insufficient. You need to think about this as a multi-legged stool in terms of management. And this is why I'm saying plant early. You go out there, you know, you put those peas in just, just when, you, when people are starting to plant wheat, okay? Wow. And plant them nice and deep, um, uh, you know, good two and a half inches deep, uh, protect them from, from an early freeze, and, um, and, but then use your seed treatment. Uh, because that early planting and the seed treatment are going to buy you um, good 10, 12 bushels beyond what the crop rotation does. And the crop rotation interval alone is not enough, even if you go eight years out. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, we're talking with Michael Wunsch with North Dakota State University, talking about a phantomyces and other root rots in pulse crops and uh, looking at early planting, long crop rotations, the best seed treatments you can find, all is good ways to help manage and, and add some more bushels back into your harvest. Michael, thank you so much. Really appreciate the work you're doing. I've uh, seen a lot of stuff coming out from North Dakota State on this. Really helpful for farmers, and it's also helpful having you on the show. So thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Have a nice you know, we're talking about some of these diseases. Once you've got them, you've got them, and you've got to manage them. So doing some scouting, doing some digging out there in your fields, taking a look at those roots, seeing what's there, and then managing going forward is great. Uh, but for everybody else listening, it says, man, I, I plant these pulse crops. I don't have a phantomyces yet. Do all the things you can do to keep that away. Uh, talking to growers who have been fighting this problem for a long time, they say, man, if I could go back in time, I would do all of these things. I would not uh, rotate quite as often as I did. I'd, I'd put more years in between those crops just to try to keep this problem away so I don't have to fight it every year. We'll talk more about root rots coming up right after this. 
The hard-working independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings, experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids, extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Did you know 20% of stored corn is overventilated by three points of moisture? On 100,000 bushels, that's a whole semi-load. Stop this problem for as little as $2,100 per bin with the end zone for corn from FarmShop MFG. Learn more at FarmShopMFG.com. Are you ready? We got the need! The need for seed treatment! Start your engines! Ready, set, Intego! Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about the below ground portion of our crop today, focusing specifically on root rots and talking about pulse crops. Uh, we've got a phanomyces that, that is one that is pretty darn tough. We were just talking to Michael Wunsch up at North Dakota State. But don't forget about these other things, fusariums and rhizoctonia, pythium. There's lots of different diseases that could impact your crop. And whether you're growing pulse crops or something else, those problems are also things you have to manage no matter what you're putting in the soil. So hopefully you can take something away from the discussion on disease management and root rot management in crops. Got Jeannie Rude with us right now as an agronomist out in the state of Montana. How you doing, Jeannie? 
I'm good, thanks. You know, if a Phantomyces just went away, uh, life would be so much easier. But unfortunately, we've got to deal with that and some of these other root rots out there in crops. Uh, what are some of the strategies that you use with farmers as, as they talk about planting into cold soils and soils that may potentially have a history of disease? The first thing we do is talk about crop history and rotation history. Um, so up here, we're always planting in cold soils. Um, I'm, a, I'm based in Antelope, Montana. I work with Pro Co-op, so our business is northeast Montana. We're 100% no-till. We It's always cold here in the spring. Um, so we start talking about how often have you grown lentils or peas, and you know the, just the risk that comes with a frequent rotation. Um, and then we talk, you know, cold soils are actually a little safer than warm, but if you're planting into cold soils, we need to talk about using some kind of a seed treat for fungicide diseases. We can't manage a phantomyces with seed treat and a lot of the fusariums we can't manage with seed treat either. The seed treat is really there to get the crop up and going faster and to manage the soil borne diseases that we can manage just so that we can get into that cooler soil, get going before the warm soils really allow the phanomyces and the later season fusariums to proliferate. So we start talking about rotation history, then we start talking about seed treat, doing everything we can to make sure we get going as fast as we can and with as healthy a crop as possible. You know, when you look at the seed treatment, there is a lot of work being done by some of the, the major ag chem manufacturers. I think about FMC with their Zyway product that they're putting in furrow on corn. Uh, it recently got labeled for soybeans as well. Uh, that has potential to move throughout that plant throughout the season. I know I think about Syngenta and their Saltro product that they're using for sudden death syndrome in soybeans. I know they're doing some testing with that same active ingredient in wheat. Uh, and I, I just think about pulse crops, that if we could find some of those fungicides that work well through the plant, we might have some hope. Are you aware of some seed treatment trials in your state, Jeannie? Are they working on anything that shows any promise on Ophanomyces? Not right now. Um, there was some talk a couple years ago about a product. I don't even want to say the name because I might get it wrong, but they had thought that it might have some efficacy on aphanomyces. And once it came to be more widely discussed, of course, there was more research done. And it's 50-50 on whether or not it's going to help, but it's pretty pricey compared to the other seed treats. And for that kind of money, 50% efficacy just isn't enough. Um, so it's not something we recommend now. We started off maybe trying to use some a couple years ago, but when you got further into the research on pulse crops, peas and lentils specifically, it wasn't going to be the right choice. When you think about so right now, no. Okay. Yeah, that's it's unfortunate, and and I know sometimes with crops that aren't on. Uh, tens of millions of acres that just don't get enough attention. Uh, but but I just keep hoping that there's something that we're doing in, in soybeans or corn or or wheat that, that could also get used in these pulse crops to, to help because this is a tough problem. And in terms of variety selection, uh, do you see much difference when, when you're picking different products uh, to try to avoid aphanomyces or is everything really susceptible? I wish it was as simple as that we could breed our way out of this quickly or choose the right variety. Um, there, there doesn't seem to be right now any natural resistance that is available. There's a lot of screening taking place at the universities to try to find natural resistance. 
but I don't even think there's any available. Um, I can, from experience, I can say that, you know, peas look more resistant initially, but it's often because we seed them in April. This year we seeded them in May because of the weather and in places that have a lot of disease history, even the peas look tough. Lentils always get seeded in May or nearly always get seeded in May. And they have such a small little root system that if things don't go right for them, um, I think soil compaction is playing a big role in how frequent or how severe this is getting. Um, you know, there's just no way to choose a variety that's going to manage these abiotic issues. Right now, that's just not an option. For our listeners, they may be thinking, man, why do you even try and plant pulse crops? Are they super profitable when they work out? Are you just looking for a broadleaf to get into the rotation uh, versus cereals all the time? Uh, are there weed control issues you can solve here? What Why do people like to plant these pulse crops? I think that's a really good question. I think if you're not from this region, you wonder, like, can't you guys just grow soybeans? Um, our rainfall and our climate is such that other broadleaf crops wouldn't work in our rotation. Soybeans require too much heat and moisture in August. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things have been tried, but pulse crops fit us really, really well here. It's honestly, they're a lot more profitable per acre than wheat is almost every year. It's very uncommon for wheat to be as profitable as a pea or lentil crop. We're a hundred percent dry land, a hundred percent no-till. 20 years ago, this country where I'm at was still crop and fallow, and it just transitioned into chem fallow in the early 2000s when they discovered that pulse crops would work and were able to develop markets to take them here locally. It changed the profitability of farming in our region in ways that just doesn't happen very often. We have done very, very well with them. It is. We have laughed that if this was a soybean crop and this disease happened, there'd be so much more money invested in it and it would be resolved. But when you're growing a minor crop, you have to accept that there's some things that there aren't easy answers for or there aren't any answers for sometimes. Um, post crops bring their own challenges, but without them, our our region would not be where it is today, our communities. When I was talking to some of the growers about this, we talk about whether it's the grain elevator and the investment they've made in processing pulse crops locally to add value to what we're growing here. Um, and I don't mean like making the soup here, more just sorting them so that they can go to the right market to extract every bit of value we can. Um, this has truly made our communities what they are, created stability for 20 years. And it's pretty hard to look that in the eye and be like, well, we can grow canola, which just is not the same profitability. Yeah, it makes such a difference. And, and you think about these long rotations where guys are in a five-year rotation or even longer in some cases, you, you just avoid a lot of problems. You avoid a lot of the, well, I can't control this weed. Well, guess what? We're going to go away from this crop for a few years. we got a lot of shots to get it under control. But but yeah, this disease that just sticks around in the soil can be, can be such a challenge. Uh, Jeannie, anything else on pulse crops you think our listeners would love to hear? Hmm. I, off the top of my head, I'm not sure. I will say when you think about that five to now they're talking, they want us an eight year or a 10 year rotation away from pulse crops that we were talking about it when we were recording a video here with one of our local growers. So take your most profitable crop in any part of the country, you know, whether it's like a potato crop in that kind of a rotation or a corn crop, if you're in that kind of a rotation, take your most profitable crop and tell yourself that you're not going to grow it for 10 years because there might be root disease. It's 
really difficult to imagine that, but that's what we're telling our growers at this point. And until you have a wreck with root disease, it's pretty hard to walk away from that kind of farm income, right? And and even after you have a wreck, it you could talk yourself back into it in the three or four years because you just miss having that in your be- when you do your budgets. For and sure. uh, for that's how important this is for us. Um, when you think about any other rotation outside of Northeast Montana, Northwest North Dakota, that's the crop we're taking out of our business. Your most profitable crop, and that's. For us, that's small. Our business is small, but you think about the bigger country. That's a. If that was anybody oh. else's problem, can you imagine? Yeah, absolutely. And I just think about the bankers too that would say, "Are you oh. sure you can't get that back in there? That's got to be a big deal." Bankers. Hey, yeah, Jeannie, we got to exactly. run, but thank you so much. Really appreciate all the info today, and good luck to you guys this fall. Thank you. Have a good one. We'll talk more about root rot and pulse scraps coming up right after this. When nematode pressure mounts, Seed Applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference. From early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield, impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Top Grower. Request your starter kit at newfarm.com forward slash top grower, but don't delay. Contest ends November 30th. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. See full rules. Newfarm.com forward slash top grower. Corn rootworms are called the billion-dollar bug for a reason. If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Stewart EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. Choose Stewart EC Insecticide from FMC. Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. 360 Yield Saver pays back fast. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. For a 12-row corn head, harvesting 2,000 acres of corn, you'd spend $7,200 on the Yield Savers. Those replacement gathering chains cut header loss by 80%. 
With today's corn prices, the grain you save will pay for the investment of 360 yield saver in less than 600 acres. This crop is too valuable to leave bushels in the field due to header loss. Put that extra grain back in your tank with 360 yield saver. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about root rot in pulse crops on today's program and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Jake with us now, farms up in Saskatchewan. How you doing, Jake? Doing well. How about you? Well, I'm doing pretty good because I don't have to fight a phantomyces in, in pulse crops. That's not in our rotation here, but... Uh, wow, you think about as many different crops as are in a rotation in Saskatchewan or in North Dakota, and you think, oh, come on, those guys raise so many different crops. How could how could a disease really get started and take a foothold in, in a certain crop? But phantomyces is just a little different animal, isn't it? Yeah, well, and it's because it affects, you know, a few different crops that we grow. On our farm, we grow canola. Uh, Durham, spring wheat, lentils, peas, and flax. Lentils and peas are both affected by it, and that's our pulse rotation. So, you know, there's not a lot of other options. There's soybeans, there's chickpeas, both of which aren't affected, but we're too dry for soybeans and we're too wet for chickpeas. So if you take away peas and lentils on our farm, you take away our pulse crop, and that's a major, major part of our rotation. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and for for folks who are lucky enough to live in an area where just about everything grows, uh, you have no idea what Jake's talking about. What too wet for this? Too dry for that? Yeah, you got to have the right climate for for each crop, and that's why you see crops grown in different parts of the world. Uh, and when you think about peas and lentils, they grow pretty well up in Saskatchewan if you can manage a phantomyces. Is it crop rotation? We heard from uh, North Dakota State University saying we need to plant as early as we possibly can. Uh, is it seed treatments? What are some of the management things you use, Jake, to make these crops viable for you? Well, that realistically, when it comes to phantomyces, the biggest thing is, is just rotation. Um, you know, last year I had a lentil field and a pea field, both, um, be really heavily affected by it. Um, one section of lentils yielded, you know, 11 bushels per acre as a result of it versus 35 for the rest. And on a crop that's worth, you know, $30 a bushel, that's a tremendous difference. Um, saw a similar yield difference in peas. Um, and honestly, it was just because we were probably a little bit too close with the rotations, and it still wasn't that close. In that lentil field, we had a, I think it was a six-year break, and that wasn't enough. It just happened that last time we put lentils in that field, it was really wet, and this time we put lentils in that field, it was really wet. Bad luck, but we probably should be closer to a 10-year break on that field going forward now, which makes it really difficult to manage from a rotational perspective, but... It's just the way it is. It's too much risk to plant it any closer together than that. A lot of the other tools, you know, seed treatments, uh, seeding early, we do those things anyway, especially with our lentils. They're a really important crop for us to manage carefully. They get fungicides. They, they get treated very well. And uh, unfortunately, if it's too wet at the wrong time, you get a, too, uh, a rain that's too big at the wrong time, it can just wipe one of those crops out, especially if there's a phantomyces lurking in the background. 
Mentioned the 10-year rotation, and I just today was having a discussion about our own farm and, hey, we're normally corn and soybeans and we want to work some alfalfa in. And can we put alfalfa here or there? What's been used for herbicides the last few years? What have we had for uh, soil pH issues and those kinds of things? And just managing uh, a three-crop rotation over just a few years is tough enough. I can only imagine 10 years, the, the amount of record-keeping that it would take just to just to keep that right because man 10 years it seems like oh that's a long time but it comes around pretty quick yeah and lentils are susceptible to lots of different herbicides that we can use in our cereals or other different crops too so we do have to be pretty careful about that and for us lentils are a really important part of our of our rotation because of the contribution that they have to our earnings at the end of the year you know in a year like this where it's pretty dry Yields are generally fairly low on most of the rest of our crops. The lentils are going to do a big part of, of uh, you know, carrying the farm in a year like this one. So when we decide which fields we're going to put them into, we really need them to perform. What are you seeing this year for, for other crops on your farm? Are, are you raising durum this year? Uh, uh, canola, what, what other things look good at all this year? Yeah, durum is one of our biggest crops as well as canola. Um, we have a little bit of durum off. We don't have any canola off yet. It's been a bit of a slow start for harvest, but we were late seeding this year because it was really wet um, after a big snowstorm in April there. So the crop's a little bit later, but it's also been a very, very dry year. I mean, there's some fields that have had <clears throat> about an inch of rain on them since we seeded them. Others closer to four. Um, but whether it's one or whether it's four, that's that's pretty dry. So, so far, yields have been okay. Um, in some cases, better than, than we hoped. But in other cases, I'm not so sure that once we get into the field, we're not going to find what we've been sort of expecting once we get a little bit farther into the into the harvest here. Yeah, you mentioned just you don't know what kind of year you're going to get. If it's going to be wet or dry and planting a lot of different crops certainly gives you some flexibility there that hopefully something makes some money so we get to do this all over again next year. Uh, but but it does take a lot of investment with equipment and with know-how. And I, I just think, Jake, when you're raising lots of different crops, staying up to speed on all those crops, about all the little things that you need to know, uh, it, it, it takes uh, <laughs> takes some years, takes some experience to, to put that kind of knowledge together. Yeah, it does. I mean, you know, in this part of the world, we're fortunate that we can grow a lot of different crops and it does diversify our weather and market risk out quite a bit. I mean, we had no idea that uh, this year we'd receive you know, just a couple of inches of, of precipitation during the growing season. Well, last year we had 10. You know, we just can't, we can't predict ahead of time and the weather forecasters don't seem to be able to um, with any degree of accuracy to predict what we're going to see. So all we can do is kind of stick with our, with our rotation as best as we can. And, and I guess that's where a disease like a phantomyces really does present challenges because it, it does limit those crops that handle the dry, hot weather the best. So it's really careful with them. 
Well, and we really thought here in our geography too, same kind of thing, tons of snow. And we thought, oh my goodness, we're going to start off in a good spot here. But it seemed like that went away pretty fast and then it just refused to rain until the last couple of weeks here. We're in about the same boat. Our uh, A majority of our farm is going to be right around that four inch mark uh, during this growing season, which just isn't enough for, for high yields. And it, of course it didn't come uh spread out an inch here and an inch there it came three inches in one shot and that shot didn't happen until august so uh, a lot of the crop was already lost by that point so what a what a weird year and uh, being able to to guess like you say based on a weather prediction of well this should be a great year for this rarely works out yeah and i mean you know for us going into this growing season we had pretty good snow during the winter so we were pretty optimistic and then that two feet of snow we got at the end of April there, it absolutely filled every slough, every pothole right to the brim, cost us a lot of acres that we couldn't seed, put the crop in late, um, you know, and, and then really didn't contribute much because we were already pretty full. So it if we could have taken that moisture in July, uh, we would have had a pretty awesome crop, but unfortunately we just don't get to choose. We just kind of have to make the best of what we get, so... Okay, so you said you've got a year where Ophanomyces is bad. Uh, do you do anything about that in terms of, hey, let's try and do some deep tillage in those areas, or, or is it just, well, I guess we just tough it out and don't put anything back there for 10 years? Yeah, unfortunately, it seems like most of the research that's come out of Western Canada that I've you know been following on it is that there's just not a lot we can do aside from just avoiding a pulse crop in those rotations for as long as possible. Drainage would be helpful. I mean, that's one of the issues that we run into in the area <clears throat> that I farm in. You know, we just, we don't have a natural outlet. So we can do a little bit of drainage within fields, but to actually get the water away, we just can't do it. We have no way to do it. So when we get those big rains, they can cause us a lot of grief. Yeah. So yeah. field selection, you know, we have to be a little bit careful about that. So if, if I'm going to have a field that's really low-lying that's going to go into lentils, I'm going to make sure that my other fields that are going into lentils have a little bit better drainage. So Just to spread your risk, do the best you can with what you got. Hey, Jake, thank you so much for being on. We really appreciate it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. In his last will and testament, Robert has bequeathed to his only heir and devoted caretaker one-third of his house, a third of his truck, and a third of his beloved dog, Mr. Bo here. Uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm a little confused. Don't settle for a fraction of what you deserve, especially at harvest. Yield your best with Veltima fungicide's proven plant health benefits and revolutionary application flexibility. One-third of a dog. Right. Get everything you deserve with Veltima fungicide. From BASF, always read and follow labels directions. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey. I'm a farmer and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine 
correlate this info to soil test points and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y.com. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. From mowing to loading or even moving snow, a John Deere Compact Utility Tractor is ready for any task. During the CNB Summer Blowout event going on now, get yours for zero money down and 0% interest for 84 months. This offer won't last forever, so check out your nearest CNB or learn more at DeerEquipment.com. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Been talking about different root rots in pulse crops, and I think it's interesting when when you don't have many options. What do you do with the options that you've got? What what can be the best thing? And it really stinks when your most profitable crop or the crop that you can really count on in the dry years. Well, it gets a disease issue that you just can't do a whole lot about. We don't have a lot of treatments. There's one, Ethoboxum, uh, the Intego products that come from Valent. Ethoboxum is labeled, but talking to uh, Michael Wunschup at North Dakota State, it's labeled, but it's not great. So, I mean, you use it and you add that onto a, a great, the best seed treatment package you can find. It's still not going to be enough, but at least it helps a little bit. And uh, then you look at just rotating away. And, man, if you've got to rotate away for 8 or 10 years before you can plant your most profitable crop again, uh, the economics of that just stink. That, that's no fun. So uh, you got to do what you can. And, and pulse crops are tough. If you're raising corn, soybeans, or wheat, yeah, you've got a lot more dollars of research getting poured into those. You've got a lot more options. Uh, but pay attention to these things. If there are big disease problems, like right now we're hearing a lot about tar spot in corn, try not to get tar spot. Do everything you can now before it gets in your field. Once you have it, you've got the the potential for more tar spot to blow up in future years. Uh, with the phantomyces, I know talking to growers in the Pacific Northwest, they say, man, when when growers in the center part of North America started raising pulse crops, we were very concerned for them because they didn't have a big Aphanomyces problem that it was going to show up. And 
And it sure did. They were absolutely right. So anyway, if you've got pulse scraps, uh, hopefully you enjoyed that part of the program today. If you are raising other crops and, and you say, hey, let's move on to a few other things, uh, we'll, we'll do that right now. Got a, got a caller on the phone, I think, and we got some, uh, some different questions here that have come in for the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, first uh, series of questions here comes from Greg, and he is in New York. Uh, long email, a lot of explanation here, but kind of boiled it down to the, to the main questions. First of all, he said, are there certain times of the year that are best to take soil samples? Well, I would look at it this way, Greg. We like to take soil samples in the fall, and we take them always in the fall on our farm, because they're going to vary a little bit throughout the growing season. So, for example, if you're going to take a soil sample in June, well, there's mineralization of past year's residue and organic matter in the soil, uh, breaking down those types of things that can change that. Plus, you've got a crop that's drawing nutrients out. So it's tough to know exactly, well, is the crop done pulling nutrients out? Is it pulled 90% of the nutrients out? I just like taking it in between crops. So for us, that means the fall. And the other thing is we're often trying to do fertility type things uh, to rebuild the field in the fall or very early spring. So if we pull samples in the fall, uh, we can be pretty confident that, okay, this is what's out there right now. Now we can make our adjustments and be ready to go for the next crop. Uh, Greg says he's got access to compost. And I'm wondering, he said, is there a better time to put compost on the surface of pasture ground? Well, I think about it this way, Greg, if I'm going to put something on the surface and I have no tillage to move it in, I'm going to need moisture to move that in. So if you get it out there in the fall, you're in the state of New York, chances are pretty good you're going to get some snow. Uh, and if you don't get some snow, you're probably at least going to get some spring rain. And that could move some of those nutrients in. So if it was me, I would be putting it out in the fall. I uh, don't really have a problem with the stability of compost. Um, it isn't stinky or anything like that. So I'd get it out there in the fall, give myself the most time. And if you were asking me this question in the spring, should I wait until fall or should I do it right now? I would say do it right now. <laughs> so the answer is fall would be the best, but right now would be the second best. Okay. When should cattle no longer graze the pastures? We've got cool season pastures, perennial rye, clover, various grasses. Do we stop when the grass stops growing or stop before so as not to stress the pasture? Uh, well, this is a great question. We don't want to overgraze pastures. So if you've got other options, yes, we want to stop uh, and let that grass have some time to regrow. I really like rotational grazing, and I think by grazing smaller sections of the pasture and then moving from section to section so you don't overgraze areas and you give areas longer to regrow, that's been proven to be better. You've been proven to raise more cattle uh, on the same amount of pasture that way. So I, I, would be look, I would be looking at rotational grazing as part of my operation. He said, I've also heard pasture should be mowed in the fall. And then some folks say not to mow it. It's not necessary. Any thoughts there? I don't know that it's necessary. Um, but the great thing about this is you can try it on part of a pasture and see what kind of regrowth you get in those areas. I, I think about like ditches and there's some folks that really like to burn 
the grass and, and whatever's left in ditches in the fall. And part of the reason they do that is to clean up the ditch. If there's any junk out there or brush or whatever, they can, can clean it. Uh, but the other reason is in areas where it snows a lot, then there's less to catch snow in the ditch. And the hope is that the snow just blows across the road and blows out into the middle of a field somewhere rather than piling up on the road. Um, I'm, I'm not suggesting you burn your pasture, but I do know this in ditches where they're burned, when there's no old vegetation holding things back, that new growth in the spring comes a little faster. So I don't know. I've never really heard about that one before, Greg, and it might be something that you try even on uh, just a few acres just to see how it works for you. All right, last question from Greg in New York. He said, I did put out uh, some nitrogen fertilizer as a 4500 granular fertilizer. So obviously nitrogen is what I was after. The pastures are established but in rough shape. There are weeds, there are bare spots, and so forth. What is a better fertilizer to use? Greg, we strongly recommend soil sampling. And I know it seems crazy, but we often talk about sampling in small grids or zones. Like on our farm, in our fields, we're going to go with one-acre grids. I don't know how much pasture ground you got, how many acres or anything like that. Uh, but I, I would look at doing some soil sampling out there to see what's going on. I, I like sampling. I like knowing what the GPS coordinates coordinates are for those samples. That way I can target fertilizer into those areas if need be. I'm betting you're going to see a lot more than just potassium, uh, or I'm sorry, than nitrogen that you're short. I'm betting you're going to see, hey, you know what? I could benefit from putting out some micronutrients, maybe even some P and K. Um, sulfur has been another one that's been getting really popular in pastures. Guys are seeing better grass growth. It also makes that grass a little sweeter in many cases and the cattle like eating it a little better. So a few things to think about there, Greg, really appreciate all the questions. If you do pull those soil samples, you can always send them in and get another opinion on, on exactly what to do from them. It's radio at agphd.com. All right. Uh, next question comes in another fertility one from Scott. He said, uh, my fertility in is pretty low on phosphorus. I'm in the 25 part per million average range, and my K is only in the 160 to 180 part per million range. It's a major improvement from where I started. Uh, I, I only had about single digit part per million on phosphorus and less than 100 on K. So I'm working on it. Most of my fertilizer buildup has been from heavy application manure, plus I use crop removal rates of dry fertilizer. Well, this year I've got available grass and leaf compost. Basically, it looks like black dirt. And I tested it, and pounds per ton is 9 pounds of nitrogen, 5 pounds of phosphorus, and 9 pounds of potassium. I'm wondering, what is the maximum tons per acre you'd recommend? The minimum I can apply is about 5 tons per acre. All right, so 5 tons per acre. So let's just use your numbers here. That would be a 45 pounds of N, 25 pounds of P, and 45 pounds of K. That's awesome. And depending on what crop you're using, I would just look at, well, what can I do here for my crop? And how much can I remove? The nitrogen is going to be your limiting factor, most likely. So let's say you were raising a crop that took 150 pounds of nitrogen. Then I'd say 15 tons is your max if that's your only nitrogen source. Just don't way overdo the nitrogen. So I would look at that. If you're also doing some manure, you'll have to add the, the nitrogen rate that you're putting in from the manure as well. 
Hey, thanks for the question, Scott, and, and good job building up your soil. Look, I look forward to hearing from you here in, in another year or two uh, as you get it up to even a higher level yet. Thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.